The RBP team would like to wish you all a very happy new year. We're excited for our lineup of podcasts that we're going to be sharing with you fortnightly. So to kickstart this year, Jenny Stone and Katie Singer, both partners at RBP, are going to be discussing top tax and pension tips for 2023. Accountancy on Prescription by RBP, one of the leading firms of medical specialist accountants. We know what you find tough, but don't you worry, as we know our stuff. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Accountancy on Prescription. I'm Katie Singer, one of the partners at RBP Chartered Accountants, and today I'm joined by my partner, Jenny Stone. Hi, Katie. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Jenny. Did you have a nice Christmas? Yeah, it was lovely. Thank you. Good. I did too. Ate too much as per usual. (laughs) So when we were chatting over the Christmas break, we both thought it'd be a good idea to start the year off with a podcast, basically giving everybody some top tips for 2023, didn't we? We did. And I think our first tip, I mean, we are obviously in January and I think the priority at the moment is getting to the 31st of January deadline. So if anybody is listening and you still haven't done your tax return, then please obviously get your information to us or to your accountants as soon as possible. If the tax return doesn't get submitted by 31st of January, then obviously it's an automatic £100 penalty and they obviously go up the later the return is. And I think Katie, the last two years, we've obviously had a deadline that's been extended to Mm. the end of February. So some of our clients that are last minute have gone, oh, I'll leave it till February. The deadline is not being extended. It's the 31st of Jan. And obviously for everybody listening, if you've done your tax return, you need to make sure that your tax is paid by the 31st of Jan. And usually January, if income's gone up, is a bigger payment because you've got your balance for 21, 22 plus a payment on account. Now, I know, you know, we often have some clients that say, Jenny, I can't pay all the tax. Just to be aware that if you don't pay your tax by the 31st of January, then HMRC will charge interest. And Katie, with interest rates going up, HMRC put their interest rate up in November and it's 5.5%. So if you pay it late, you're going to get charged daily interest at a rate of 5.5%. What I would also say is that in addition, if you haven't paid your balance for 21-22 after the 28th of February, there's a 5% surcharge. Now, you know, I know obviously everyone is struggling at the moment. So if you are going to struggle to pay your tax, then I would suggest contacting HMRC to set up a payment plan. The payment plan, you still get charged interest, but what that means is you're not going to have HMRC phoning you up, chasing the tax bill. I had Katie, a client that said to me, it's quite a few years ago, she goes, I don't know what happened. She hadn't paid her tax. And she said she had bailiffs knocking on her door, chasing up the tax liability. So all I would say is if you can't pay it, obviously set up a payment plan. Definitely. And just be aware that, you know, it is January, which means the end of the tax year is only just over two months away. So start thinking about collating your records because we always say so much better to have your records ready, all your data collected towards the beginning of the year. You know, we don't ever expect people to actually do all of their tax return in the April, but the stuff that you can get together, going through your bank statements, getting your interest, you know, things that you can get during the year, try and collate them now so you've got less to do when it is your tax return time. 
Yeah, absolutely. My next tip would be for those of you listening who have limited companies, you may may not be aware that currently the tax-free dividend allowance is £2,000. So for those of you who have companies, please make sure if funds allow, you have withdrawn your tax-free £2,000 dividend before the 5th of April. Because from the 6th of April 2023, the dividend allowance drops from £2,000 down to £1,000. So that's something to be aware of. And actually, from the 6th of April 2024, it's dropping even further to £500. So to keep that in mind, that at the moment it's £2,000 tax free, then it will drop to £1,000 and then down to only £500 tax free. Obviously, anything you take above those dividends is going to be taxed at the additional dividend rate. So at the moment, if you're a base basic rate taxpayer, that will be 8.75%. 40% taxpayer, you'd be a 33.75. And if you're an extra rate taxpayer, which at the moment is for those of you earning over 150,000, you'd be a 39.35% taxpayer. I think it's an appropriate time to say, and we will come on to this later, that from the 6th of April, 2023, the higher rate taxpayer bracket is moving, as we know, from 150,000 down to just over 125,000. I think it's 125,140. Yeah. They always like to make it complicated, but let's call it 125,000. So for those of you earning now over 125,000 and not just over 150,000, you will now be paying that percentage of your tax at 45%. So to just bear that in mind. No, absolutely. And the other thing I'd just add, Katie, is obviously if people take more than the dividend allowance and they're taking higher dividends, that obviously if they take it before the 5th of April, then you've still got up to 150. Whereas obviously after April, obviously it goes down. So more dividends, if you're at that level, are going to fall into the additional rate. Katie, my next tip is just a reminder that the ISA limit is 20,000. So obviously thinking about if you do have spare cash sitting in savings accounts, investing it into an ISA, whether that's a cash or stock and shares ISA. And what that means is any interest, dividends or capital gains within an ISA wrapper, you do not pay tax on. So that's always a good one to make sure you're using your ISA limit. And also for children, you can invest up to 9,000 into a junior ISA for each of your children. Obviously, they can't get that until they're 18. So it gets invested and then they can't draw that down. And just again, another reminder really is that obviously any savings, if you decide to, you know, put into your children's bank account £9,000, then any interest on that is usually taxed on the parent. HMRC see it as, well, it's still your money. So if you do make a payment into a children's savings account at 9000 interest would be taxed on you. But if you put it into a junior ISA, then that's all exempt from tax. Yeah, absolutely. So my next tip would be that if you are thinking at the moment that you're considering purchasing sort of a big ticket item, a car, a mobile phone, you know, I knew the new iPhone's about £1,500, a laptop, a computer, anything sort of substantial in nature, you might want to consider deferring the purchase, especially if you're considering doing it in the next few months anyway, until the 6th of April. Because of course, if you've got a large item, you're going to be able to offset that against your income when income tax rates are going up over 125,000. So effectively, if you're straddling at the moment, if you think, oh my goodness, that's going to be me, I'm going to fall into that bracket, it might be able to pull you down below the amounts if you purchase the asset after the 6th of April. So obviously the capital allowances on that would be able to reduce your tax bill down. 
Katie, that's a really good point. And I think the same applies really for companies because corporation tax rates are going up from April 23 as well. So again, if you're running a company and you're looking to buy computer equipment, because the rates are going up, then obviously by delaying that purchase, you're going to get more tax relief on it. What's the increase, Jenny? 19 to 20? Was to 25. But then obviously, if your profits are between 50,000 and 250, there's an effective kind of marginal rate of about 26%. Mm. So the first 50,000 of corporation tax is at 19%. And then from 50 to 250, it's about 26%. Wow. Okay. So a big change from what we've been used to be seeing for the last few years. So for people with limited companies, do bear that in mind. Yeah. So my next tip is just regarding capital gains disposal. So whether that's disposing of shares where you make a gain. So I've got clients that like to kind of double on the stock market, or if you've got any residential properties or properties that you're selling, then bear in mind that the capital gains annual exemption. So when you calculate capital gain, you look at the difference between what you sell your shares, your property for, and what you paid for it. But before you work out your capital gains tax, you can deduct what's called a capital gains annual exemption. And at the moment, for 22-23, that's 12300 That is going down from the 5th of April 23 to 6000 And then again, from 6th of April 24 down to 3000 So all I would say is that if you... I've got shares that you're thinking of selling in the next few months. It makes sense to do it in 22, 23 when the annual exemption is much higher. So just bear that in mind as well. And the other thing, just while we're talking about capital gains, is just a reminder that if you're selling residential property, so I know people with buy-to-lets, you know, as interest rates have gone up, some are making the decision to sell them, is that if you do sell residential property, you have to report your capital gains within 60 days of that gain. And you have to pay your capital gains tax. So what we say to our clients is, if you're in the process of selling, just make sure you contact us so that we can get all the reporting within the deadline sorted. Yeah, absolutely. Although for those listening who are thinking, oh goodness, like maybe you're listening and you sold your share in your surgery, that's a commercial property. So the 60-day reporting doesn't apply. And you put that on your tax return in the financial year that you sold. So if you're selling your share of the property, say now in January 2023, that goes on your 22-23 tax return and any tax or gains will be reported and paid over in January 2024. So my next tip, and I say it's a tip, it will be relevant for those of you who are fortunate enough to just be, say, employed or have a very straightforward tax return where you just have, say, rental properties or locum income. Not so much for those of our clients who are listening or individuals who are listening who are GPs in practice. But one tip that we always say to people, and again, I have harked on about this, is try and do your tax returns early. And the reason for this is if you can do your personal tax return before the end of July, so before July 2023, and you know what your tax liability is going to be. If your tax liability has fallen from last year, so if we know that your 22-23 liability is going to be lower than your 21-22, you can reduce your second payment on account in July. Instead of waiting until January 2024 for any rebates, you can have them offset against July 2023. So, For those of you in partnership, you might struggle with this because as we know, the payments from NHS England, the payments from your local federations and networks and even PCNs are being delayed further and further. And we know that a lot of our clients have been telling us that many monthly payments have been moved to quarterly. Many quarterly payments have been moved 
six monthly, which means that you're waiting longer and longer before you're getting your reconciling payments, which means it takes a little bit longer for the accounts to be prepared. So that might be trickier for partners to be able to get their accounts figures. But for those of you who are individuals who know that you can have the information available and you do think, goodness, I know I've earned less this year, do make sure you try and get it in and reduce those July payments on account. Absolutely, because that all helps with cash flow. So my next tip is a reminder about superannuation certificates for 21-22. So for any salaried GPs and partners listening, you are going to need to make sure that a pension certificate is completed and submitted to PCSE by the 28th of February. Now for GP partners that we act for, we will obviously deal with that pension certificate for you. We will complete it and we will submit it to PCSE. I want to really highlight to any salary GPs listening, because I think there is very much a lack of understanding that salary GPs, if you are employed at a GP practice, you need to be submitting a type two pension certificate to PCSE. I think, Katie, what happens is a lot of salary GPs can look at their payslip, they see superannuation as being deduction, their pension is being deducted from their pay. So they assume that their pension record is absolutely fine. That is totally incorrect correct because although you are paying your pension deductions and the practice are deducting it, this is not going to be correctly reflected on your NHS pension record until you do a type two certificate. So quite often, Katie, when I see new clients and they say to me, they're salary GP, and I might say, how long have you been a salary GP for? And they've been there for five years and I'll be, have you done type two certificates? And they're like, no, what are they? So Anybody listening, if you're a salary GP, you need to really make sure that you're doing those certificates. If you haven't done them since you joined, you can go back and do all those missing years. And there was an amnesty for basically GPs to go back because this requirement came in in 2009-10. So it's really just a reminder. Obviously, if you're a hospital doctor, you don't actually need to worry because your pension all gets dealt with. And yes, it gets deducted from your pay, but it actually all does get logged onto your pension record. So this is really more for GPs. Yeah. Following on from your mention of the pension certificates, and this one is, I say it's a tip. It's a little bit of a trickier tip to control, but for many of our clients, we know when we prepare their accounts, we estimate that when we do the superan certificates and we do all of our superan certificates in February, so we'll be doing those all next month. But of course, we do the accounts well in advance of the superan certificates. We put estimates through. So we might tell some of our clients, you've got five grand, 10 grand, 20 grand shortfalls being deducted. Now, in an ideal world, you'd actually want those shortfalls now to be being deducted potentially next year, as in after the 6th of April, because you get tax relief on your tax return, on your superann contributions when they physically get deducted. So that would be if they trickle into April, you declare them on your 23-24 tax return, which is when the bracket from 150,000 is falling down to 125,000. Now, in reality, you have to submit your superann certificates in February. I don't believe there is a penalty for not submitting it, is there, Jen? There isn't, there isn't, because we we seem to be endlessly submitting missing certificates certificates where PCSE seem to have lost them. Yeah, I don't think there's a formal penalty, but they ask individuals to have those certificates submitted before the end of February. I'm guessing this is just for their processing. But in reality, they are then in turn supposed to collect or refund, if that is the case, any superannuation shortfalls or rebates in the March statement. Now, 
I'm sure Jenny, that you're in the same happens. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I keep telling my clients it's because of COVID, but I'm not sure it is. You know, for the last couple of years, only a handful of superannuation balances actually clear on the March statement. I would say 90% of shortfalls or rebates I've seen in the last two years have cleared between April and July. Yeah. Yeah, Jen would agree. I'd so, absolutely agree. Mm. So in a way, it's probably a good thing because it just means that you're going to get the tax relief in the year that it might be more advantageous for you. There are a couple of you listening who actually might write checks. You know, you might actually send off your shortfalls. I do know I have a few clients who do this. I don't generally recommend it because I've had so many situations where an individual has paid physically over their shortfall because it was quite a large shortfall and they wanted the relief on their return. And then of course, two months later, PCSE has come along and taken the deductions again. So then we're in a situation where you've got to pay it back. I think that happens in most cases. I think we used to kind of try and recommend people pay it so they got the tax relief in the March. But actually, in most cases that I've seen, you pay it and then PCSE deduct it as well. And then you you have a nightmare trying to get the money back. So, Yeah. yeah. And we can't obviously tell you not to submit your certificate on time. But if, for example, you did have an exceptionally large shortfall and for whatever reason you did want to defer it till next year, it would be a liability, but you could delay submitting it. But I would say even if you submitted it on time, the chances of that superannuation rebate being deducted on time is unlikely anyway. And just one other point about superannuation is if you've done GP solo work for 22-23, do make sure that the provider does complete a GP solo form and private and give it to you. Because often we have so much back and forth between our clients saying, well, we didn't know who was supposed to prepare this. And often individuals think they're supposed to be preparing it themselves, but it's the provider that should be giving you the completed form. Yeah. And I would say it's really important. So if you're doing out of hours work or NHS appraisal work, just make sure you get that GP solo form because your certificate gets rejected if the solo information that we put on the certificate and PCSE have doesn't agree. So there's been massive problems with GP solo. And Katie, the reason, you know, we have to get these certificates submitted by the 28th of Feb is so that PCSE can process them and then update everybody's pension record. So my next tip is really, I would urge everybody. So the Total Rewards Statement website, and I hope that most people listening are familiar with that website, although I know lots of clients still just don't seem to be aware that this website exists and that they can download their statement. It's not a live website, so it gets updated twice a year. It's been recently updated in December and then it gets updated again in the August and the August update should then reflect your 21-22 earnings for GPs For hospital doctors, yours is much more up to date. So when you download a TRS in August, it will reflect 22-23's earnings if you're downloading in August 23. So I would I would urge everybody to kind of log on after those updates, download your statement and make sure that it appears to be correct. You know, we see statements where, you know, there'll be one year that will have no earnings recorded, even though the GP will say, but hang on, I was working. So if you're downloading it every year and reviewing it, then obviously you can identify those errors. And if you're I think for GP partners, it's a lot easier to check that because we've been doing certificates for a long time. But certainly I would just urge everybody just download it in August or in December and just check that your last year's earnings are correctly recorded. Yeah. And I would say on the subject of pensions, this comes up quite frequently. If you were thinking 
of opting out the pension, maybe because you're doing a tax return. We've just done your tax return. And in February, March is when we start looking at the annual allowance charges and you get hit with an annual allowance tax charge. And you're thinking, I just don't want to bear these anymore. I'm thinking of coming out. Please do take financial advice you know, from somebody who understands the NHS pension. I believe we did a podcast. It's number five. Yeah, I did one with Ollie and that was a really good one to listen to. I think lots of my clients have said it's been really good because he explains things, puts things very simply and talks about, you know, people that are choosing this opting out or opting in. So definitely worth a listen. Yeah, I definitely do. Don't just take it upon yourself because your personal situation will be different just because one of your partners or one of your peers has opted out does not mean that it's going to be right for you, even if you have those tax charges. No, absolutely. And Katie, my final tip, there are obviously going to be people listening that are still getting their stuff ready to submit for their tax return for 21-22. But my next tip is really that you need to start thinking about making tax digital. So making tax digital is coming in from the 5th of April 24. We did do a podcast covering this, I think it was episode four. Making tax digital is going to require self-employed individuals, partnerships, landlords who've got buy-to-let property to basically report their income and expenses quarterly. So Katie, you know, we've got lots of clients that leave doing their tax return until the last minute. You know, we'll have people that will send us their information on the 28th of Jan and expect their tax return to be done and completed and submitted within a few days by the tax deadline. Those are the clients that I would say you need to start getting more organized with keeping your records because when making tax digital comes in, you're going to have to quarterly report. Mm. So if you're employed, but you've got several buy-to-let properties, you're going to have to quarterly report your buy-to-let income. If you're self-employed and you've got buy-to-lets, then you're going to have to do a a quarterly report for your self-employed income and your buy-to-let income. So there is a lot more reporting requirements. Now, Obviously, we're here doing a lot of work in preparation. We've we've kind of looked at all our clients. We've segmented our clients. We're looking at software options. So if you're clients of RBP, we will obviously be in touch over the next few months as we sort of get all our clients geared up for it. But all I would say is really need to start thinking about getting organized about making tax digital because it's scary because I think when we were talking about it, it felt like it was a few years off and now it's literally around the corner. I mean, it has been delayed a couple of times. Our other partner, Kate, she's always saying to us, she still thinks it's going to be delayed or deferred. One thing I will say is we've yet to have any kind of written confirmation from HMRC. So individuals who are buy to let landlords, no one's had any letters in the post about it. There's been no adverts on TV. These are the two kind of things that you're used to seeing. I know I remember when the workplace pension was enforced, there were adverts on TV, self-assessment tax returns. For those of you old enough to remember, there were lots of TV adverts at the time. So we are anticipating this will happen. I know that there are some software adverts where they do mention it, but they don't mention it from a, from a, yeah, yes. and it's not from a government perspective. So just to keep that in the back of your mind, but once you start seeing those adverts, hearing those adverts on the radio, that's when you know it's really coming in. I need to up my game now and leaving things to the last minute is just not going to fly anymore. No, absolutely, Katie. So as a final point, for those of you listening that haven't done your DAX returns, get them in now, please. Do get them sorted because you are only a few weeks away from the deadlines and we would hate for anybody to get a penalty for an unnecessary reason if the stuff's really ready to go. So here's to 2023. Yeah, I wonder what the year's going to bring, Katie. (laughs) Well, 
it can't have as much chaos as 2021 and 22 had for sure. But yeah, thank you everyone for listening. And if you did enjoy this podcast, please do remember to like and subscribe. And we look forward to seeing you at our next episode. Bye. Bye, Katie. You have been listening to RBP's Accountancy on Prescription podcast. For any updates, please visit www.rbp.co.uk or follow us on Twitter at RBPCA. The contents of this podcast is for general guidance and informational purposes only and does not constitute any form of advice. The information provided by RBP is of a general nature. Appropriate and tailored advice or independent research should be obtained before making any decisions. RBP does not accept any liability for any loss or damage which is incurred from you acting or not acting as a result of listening to Accountancy on Prescription.